Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Tulsa World Opinion video and podcast. I'm Jenny Graham, editorials editor for the Tulsa World. I'm Bobby Sett, editorial writer and columnist. So we're just going to jump in. Fourth of July weekend. Um, can't even escape gun violence there. I mean, it just... <laughs> I I watched the, the, the Highland Park, um, and it just kind of took... I just didn't feel like celebrating after that. I mean, I just... I'm watching it unfold. And then that wasn't even the only mass shooting. There were shootings in Philadelphia. There were shootings in, um, there was another one in Minneapolis. They, I, there were, and then there were, and those were just like the mass shootings. Then there were just random other shootings of like a couple of kids at a bouncy house in Texas shot and killed because gunfire nearby. Mm. I mean, it's just like this endless list. And I was exhausted by it. So that was my 4th of July, not to start on a downer, but I just, um, you know, this gun violence is really, it's bothering me more and more. Maybe it's my age and I have two kids that are entering adulthood, but I, I'm really wanting some change. And I was just kind of thinking of the politics going on now and goes back to our, I want to, I, I think all of us need to ask every politician, every lawmaker, what are you going to do to stop the violence? And I don't want to hear mental health or culture. No, I want to know specific actions you can do in your job that will change things. Mm -hmm. So did you, did you pay much attention to that over the weekend or was this just me in my head? No, I did just because of the, I mean, especially when they started getting information about the, the suspect and then all of the people saying, Oh, he was Antifa. Oh, he was MAGA. It's like, okay, okay, okay thing is is he got access to this thing and started blasting people i mean let's let's just go down a rundown of where we're seeing mass shootings we're seeing them at parties we're seeing them at schools we're seeing them at shopping malls we're seeing them at churches and synagogues it's easier and, to see what they're not at i mean where you know, where have we not had a mass shooting and now we've had a parade and you know workplaces and da, 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 da. it's just like there are a variety of things where we've talked about, well, if we just hardened sites and did stronger doors and blah, blah, blah. It's like, how do you stop that thing in a parade? I mean, yeah. we're just, it's, it is a, it's like, an, it's a disingenuous game of whack-a-mole when the real problem is if you've got people like one of our letter writers that we can have uh, here in a couple of days, uh, retired Marine Corps vet, was saying, you know, we're putting weapons of war in people's hands. And we're being surprised that some of these people who are not good people are using them for nefarious means and can cause a lot of uh, death and injury and sorrow and stuff like that. So, you know, sooner or later, maybe it'll get through or maybe it won't. I would like to see more work in the research area of why these are all young white men. I mean, there were in large part a very specific demographic that are carrying out these, or not young white men, certainly white men. I mean, there have been very few yeah. uh, people of color or ethnic people, almost all men, certainly. So what I'd love to see, and we haven't been able, Congress barred that for 20 years to do any research into mass shootings. But I think while we have the issue of getting guns out of people's hands that shouldn't have them there's also this other issue of what's happening in the psyche of of men largely white men this disenfranchisement 
uh, or I don't know, this isolation that's leading to this? Because I don't think it's all mental health. Part of it is, I mean, certainly they're not all of sound mind, but not all of them have had mental health diagnoses, but there's something that snaps. So I think that there's kind of another aspect of that of, you know, when you look at these suspects, you know, what are the common denominators? What's happening there that this has gotten to be a, a common thing. This wasn't common 30, 40 years ago. So this is something no. new. So we have to sort of get at that, that, that for con people going to Congress, you could actually put money toward research into looking into that question. You know, we've done a lot of things where we've looked at radicalization of name your group to explain why they do what they do. And in this last case, they see similar parallels to when we talked about like online radicalization before 2020, a lot of folks were looking at, you know, Islamic terror cells and how groups like ISIS and Al-Qaeda and different groups were using the, the online sphere to recruit, to radicalize and, you know, just basically point somebody toward violence. Obviously, the religious aspect that, you know, was sort of mixed up in all of that is not here with what we're seeing. But the other patterns are pretty similar. So with this last kid, you know, this, I call him a kid. He's not a kid. He's a man. He's 20-something years old. He's young, but he's a man. Um, in his case, he spent a lot of time, what authorities are thinking, getting radicalized online you know, how much more of that is going on. And it's not, and I'm not going to go and say, oh, it's got to blame video games, got to blame the internet and all that kind of stuff, because there's a lot of reasons why people do these mass shootings. Um, but again, if you're just targeting the specific reasons all the time, you're chasing, you're like the one lion that's trying to chase 50 zebras and catches none. <laughs> Right. I, yeah, there's some sort of alienation going on, and I don't yeah. buy into the whole uh, video games and movies and all that. No. Now, I do think America has a pretty violent culture because, I mean, when you look at like even just movie ratings, they're more like we have a lot more violence. But if you have sex in there or nudity, people freak out. And I mean, I've always thought that was a very weird priority that we put yeah. on. But I don't think that is it alone. I mean, we grew up in an age where, you know, heavy metal was blamed on suicides. Remember that era? Yep. And heavy, yep. you know, and no, a lot of that heavy metal was bad, as we found out, just musically bad. But, you know, hey now. I know, getting hey into now. Gotta stand touchy, with touchy area, area. But, I, but I don't fall into that. Now, I do think that maybe some of that might go hand in hand with other things going on, but that in and of itself, no, I'm not buying that. So, but, but the, it would, but I think line, it's worth looking into. Yeah, the bottom line is, is that these people, if there is a common denominator that you're looking at, it is the access to weaponry to do oh, a lot of damage. Without the a video, doubt, that's the, part of it is these people are, I mean, who shouldn't have guns are getting guns. I don't know if you um, listened or watched the video from the parade um, on the 4th. But again, it reminded me a lot of the rapid gunfire from Las Vegas. Yeah. And it was like, bum, 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 just a lot of bullets going, going into the crowds. And 
Man, it would be it'd be difficult I, I just, to escape you know, that it, kind of and rain. We can't, I mean, I don't want to live in a country where we can't have a parade. And that's where I'm at. And all these people. Where you can't go to a concert. Where you can't to go to church. Something. Where you can't go to school. Anywhere. And, 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 and if you think you're not safe, you're crazy. I mean, that's just not... And we even and, and we live in a state where we have constitutional carry, and I know that we're, I, in a way, I say we're going against the grain, but I don't think we are because I know a lot of people that are, like, frustrated by this. There is a way mm-hmm. that we can, you know, have the Second Amendment, but not put ourselves up as victims. It's not a suicide pact. That that is not what the Constitution is about, and we can find that, but we have to have officials willing to do it. And we have not had that in a while. So, so that's my, it's my inline. We're going into election season. Ask people that question. So on a good note, we've been, we've had a, our board has had a couple of good editorials, changing the tone a little bit with Tulsa Public Schools. And I know for some reason, Tulsa Public Schools has been the target of several conservative lawmakers for things that aren't happening or, or aren't true or whatever, but there are two things that I that we found very compelling, and it gets to the heart of academic achievement, which is East Central High School is starting a um, an airline. I'm going to screw this up. It's an engineering mechanic airline program that's going to be available for freshmen through seniors. And even if you don't start as a freshman and you get interested in it your junior year, you can. And it brings in different programs, different companies to offer this program, and. I really liked it because it starts the freshman year. Our career techs don't start till the junior year. And we have a lot of kids dropping out and losing interest their freshman, sophomore years. So this gets kids interested in a career early on. It's, they can take one class, you know, a semester. It will provide them a high paying job at the end. I want to say American Airlines at one point for certain mechanics were starting out at $100,000 and up. I mean, it was, I mean, for certain certifications, but it's certainly, um, I think at a, I think the average salary in the nation is something like sixty five thousand. Just right. I mean, that's good for a high school senior coming out with that kind of certification to get those jobs. They're in desperate need of those jobs in the next five years, mm-hmm. and it shows institutions don't have to compete. Career tech's fine with it. They're like, we can't meet the demand. They have other. Pro- I mean, this is the kind of thinking and the kind of program where schools don't have you don't have to compete if the whole goal is we want to give kids lots of options, then let's work together and do it. Let's let's do that. And so I'm tired of the whole schools need competition because we don't have to have winners and losers. We can just all work toward that goal. So that was awesome. Yeah. And the other one was um is a a it's a pilot program. So they're starting at at Monroe Demonstration School for a trauma-informed education. And I'm not an expert on trauma-informed things. But a demonstration school is exactly where it should start because we're, they're, they're putting it there. But it gets this idea of changing the way um, it's supposed to help teachers know how to educate kids with lots of challenges because kids are coming to school. We have the highest number of A scores for kids, which is adverse childhood experiences. So that's kids with uh, parents incarcerated, coming out of incarceration in poverty, you know, divorces, domestic violence, dysfunction, all kinds of things mm-hmm. coming to school. And teachers have not been trained or equipped to deal with that. So this is a program that's been developed 
15 years ago. It's evidence-based. It's funded by um, the federal uh, federal government, but it's also got state backing. And so they're going to try it and say, you know, you get school-wide support and everyone's buying into this idea and it's going to help. The idea is it helps bring discipline problems down and it gives teachers another set of more tools to know how to reach kids academically. So we're focusing on actual things, Bob. I know, and we're, and making it work. And just imagine, you know, being able to, being able to say, being able to maybe campaign on, hey, here's an education thing that's going on in public school that is taking people that are in a tough spot and getting into a better spot, helping feed that pipeline to employment that's important for the kids and also important for local employers. Wow, that's that's yeah. pretty good. I mean, this these are the things I want to hear on the campaign trails. I don't care about CRT yeah. that's not happening. It's I don't care about who's using a bathroom. I want to know if the kids are going to have a job at the end, if they're going to be college ready if they want, if they are coming to school and they are in a mental health crisis, that they're going to get help. That's what we need talking about. So I was so excited about those particular programs. And I know the board was too. It was one of the, when, when we have our regular board meeting, the board members came together and they're like, yeah, those are some things going really well, but they don't get a the problem is when things go right in schools, man, they don't get enough credit, do they? No one no. ever really, no, people don't remember that. So they just jump over the things that they, that are going wrong or that they think is going wrong. Right. So, so, um, so we want to give them credit on that. The other thing that we editorial or are going to editorialize on, the Interior Secretary, U.S. Secretary of Interior, Deb Holland, I believe is how her name is pronounced. I'm sorry if I got that wrong. She's the first Indigenous person to hold that position, which I think is a travesty that the Interior Secretary has not been an Indigenous person until now. But she uh, is coming to Oklahoma Saturday, and she's visiting the Riverside Indian School, which is by Chickasha. No, Anadarko, Anadarko, maybe Anadarko. I'm sorry, Anadarko. And I didn't know that there was still a boarding school in Oklahoma, an Indian boarding school. So that was news to me. And it's to start this year long listening tour of what experiences were had in Indian boarding schools. And I grew up, my childhood was in Northeastern Oklahoma, and I'd heard references to this, but no one really sat down to explain what these were. And some of them were horrific. And so, yeah. it, it, and she started this after last year. Remember in Canada, they found mass graves. Yeah. So she started an investigation of that and to find out if there were similar graves at former sites or current sites. And the first report came out last month and they found something like 53 different graves marked and unmarked on sites, but they think that will grow. But now she's moving into an area where they want to start collecting oral histories. Um, yeah. And that's where she's starting is here and she's moving to Hawaii and different places. And I was fascinated by this in the way that it's again, history we ignored. History yeah. that was unfold. It was, it, you know, it, it, and there was, yeah. a, it was reminded me of this meme of someone kind of making a joke of we need an app to put in the year we graduated and then find out all the history that has changed since then. Right. Like, what did we not know? Because there's so much we don't know. And we're finding out about that in this, this idea that history doesn't change is, is wrong. That history does change because we, we learn more things like this. 
Yeah, I think there's a, a degree of accountability that still needs to be had and acknowledged because when you look at the history that we've seen with the indigenous peoples in the United States, um, it's the wars, the Indian Removal Act, and the way that tribal lands, even after like Oklahoma was settled by the tribes, how that land eventually just got taken anyway. What we're seeing with the, uh, um, what was it they called that up in Osage, in the Osage Reservation? The Reign of Terror. Yeah, the Reign of Terror. And then you're talking about, I don't know how many of these uh, Indian boarding schools are out there, but there's a lot, and then they're all over the country, not just here or in a few places in the West. They are everywhere. And the stuff that they've come up with in Canada, which... I'm not going to say, you know, double down on this too hard or anything, but I think Canada has been a little bit more benevolent in terms of how it's dealt with people that didn't look like original white settlers, but it was still really bad. And you come south of that border here, the United States, and it was just very much outright hostility, you know, warfare and all these other things. It's a long path of, uh, just very destructive governmental behaviors towards tribes and their cultures. So yeah, we're due for some. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really interested in what she finds out because yeah. Oklahoma history, I mean, tribal history is Oklahoma's history because we have yeah. the descendants of the survivors of the biggest mass genocide of indigenous people with the trail of tears. So Ooh. the real, and these boarding schools are not ancient, ancient history. They are, people are, are living who experience abuse and neglect in these places after being forced from their families. So yeah. there were laws, federal laws that stated that if an Indian uh, family didn't send their children to school, you could withhold their, their federal benefits that they were due by treaties that were established. So yeah. this whole distrust of government, this, this, you know, everything can be tracked back to these kinds of experiences and we have to know about them because I, this is certainly new to me to th that this is what happened because those stories were never handed down to me and they were handed down into indigenous families and that should be part of, part of our history books too. So yeah. I'm, I'm, I, I, I think as a board, I think we, we just like, we welcome her. We want to hear more about it and I hope that she comes back and visits more. I know that she's visited some um, sites in the Cherokee Nation on some of their schools. So I know that she's pretty, she's been pretty active with some of our tribal leaders. So, um, so I'm, I think this is a very worthwhile project. So, but speaking yeah. of history, I'm down another mm -hmm. rabbit hole for my Sunday story. So Carl Albert, there are kids that do not know who Carl Albert is. I knew because my grandfather was a Democrat politician in Noble County, Oklahoma. So I heard a lot about Carl Albert, but I was watching the, so I, I was watching the January 6th hearings mm -hmm. and I was just, it's just so, all these people are just out for a power grab. It was just, that's what kind of got me. And it made me think of Carl Albert and the way that this, this was a guy from Bug Tussle who was second, it became second in line for the presidency twice without him seeking it, without any kind of, he just happened to be house speaker when the vice president resigned. And then the president resigned because he was House Speaker during Watergate. Mm -hmm. And he could have 
And he was under pressure to be very Machiavellian and work his way into the presidency because the Republican, Carl Albert's Democrats, the Democrats were like, hey, with Sparrow Agnew out of the picture, it looks like, you know, Nixon's not going to, you know, make it. He's either going to get impeached or resign. Then we can take over the White House. But he didn't do it. You know, I mean, think about it. He could have slowed down the nomination process of Gerald Ford to so we wouldn't mm-hmm. have a vice president in place or sped up the impeach or both sped up the impeachment process for the president. Or he could have just got his Democrat majority and said, we're going to block all Republican nominations for the vice presidency to replace him. And I started thinking of our current leaders. Now, we did see Mitch McConnell do something similar with the Supreme Court justice by not allowing Obama to put a Supreme Court justice in place where his predecessor, he was allowed to. But then you start, I start thinking, you know, so I'm pretty sure Mitch McConnell would grab the presidency. I have no doubt. Yeah, why not? But I'm thinking, would Nancy Pelosi give up that? Would Kevin McCarthy, Chuck Schumer? I mean, I'm thinking of all, of, I mean, where are Carl Alberts right now is what I'm thinking when I'm watching this going, I think all these people, would they're putting party and personal gain over the country. And I know Liz Cheney is um, controversial because she has bucked her party. But she's putting her country first from what I see. I mean, she's saying here's what she's trying to get to what the facts are. What happened on that day? This was an attack on our capital to stop the transfer of power. Mm -hmm. So I was just I I went down the rabbit hole of Carl Albert and I love, you know, looking at the I love finding uh, quotes and and thoughts that are applicable today. That's why we love Will Rogers, right? So much of what he said mm-hmm. observed is applicable today. It's the same with Carl Albert during Watergate. The Republicans during Watergate did the right thing. They listened to the hearings. And then even Nixon's most strident supporter said, yeah, dude, you got to go. You know? Think about the time we were coming out of, too, with yeah. Vietnam and all that stuff oh, going exactly. on. And, you know, and civil all, rights movement rights and the resistance to on. that. The 60s and the early 70s were such a tumultuous time. And I think that these people understood that, you know, what we need to show people is that we can hold people accountable, even the highest office in the land, the person who holds it, and we can do an orderly thing to make sure that the institutions are respected, that the country is respected, and that we can do this without a giant fuss. Nowadays, we are in a tumultuous time once again, you know, just kind of like what we were in the 60s, but over things that are, I don't know, seem manufactured in a lot of ways to me. But that willingness to say, all right, you know, we've got, we're kind of redlining here. Maybe we should do the right thing by our institutions and to make sure that people can take the temperature down. And that has not happened. No, and that doesn't happen at all. Well, and what's interesting, Carl Albert never really criticized Nixon. I mean, now you just see these people going after each other. And he, in the end, was even like, no, he would have made a good president, but he was just flawed and put personal power first. And I, I was just like I say, I it was so I'm writing about Carl Albert 
And I, I could probably, I'm going to go back and read the book that Danny Goebel wrote about him, which was nominated for Pulitzer Prize at the time. So uh, um, it kind of got me going down that road. But you went down kind of a different way, still politics. But you talked yep. about the big sort, which is, mm -hmm. which is a term that's being used a lot more now. Can you explain a little bit about what, where that came from, what that means? Sure. So in 2008, uh, a guy wrote a book um, called The Big Sort. And his contention was, is they were trying to study what is driving people to move to different places. What is it? And what they found kind of surprised them was that politics have become an increasing reason why people choose to, to move to a certain area. Um, and that trend basically started in the mid 1970s and continues today is only accelerating. So I think his contention in the book is that uh, it's it's not helpful to the country. And so I started doing a little bit of digging to go past the publication date of that book and see where things are going and everything like that. And it does explain a lot of the problems that we're seeing right now in terms of political gridlock and you know extreme positions being taken by the left and the right and just the general anxiety that people are feeling. Um, I, there's a couple of anecdotes I have from places that I've lived that are kind of fun, and but there's also some scary stuff in there too. What happens when you have this balkanization of communities by political belief? All right, well, one of the points you made in there I liked was that this whole idea of you don't like it, move. And we've heard our Oklahoma lawmakers say that kind of stuff too. We don't like yeah. it here, move. Well, we shouldn't have to move. You should represent all your constituents. That's what you. That's what your job is. Yeah. You might be there with a political under a per, political party, but be like Carl Albert and represent everybody. Keep keep the government and keep all the people in mind, not just your people. So I thought that was a very good point um, that you made. Uh, and also, not not everyone can move. They don't have the resources to. No. And. You made a, I think you made a point with, you know, tribal people. This is their land. This is yeah. the land promised to them. Don't tell tribal people to move if they don't like your politics. They were here yeah. first. I mean, if you're this, this is a scenario that I picture in my head is well, pick your profession here. Let's just say it was like a, an auto mechanic living in Tahlequah who's. Cherokee Nation member, and he keeps getting this feeling that the state is kind of, you know, making life really tough for him. He doesn't like what's going on, or maybe it's a teacher in, in Duran or something like that who's a tribal member, and, you know, they're being told, well, if you don't like it, get out. You can always move to a blue state. It's like, all right, so you're going to tell these people to move to Los Angeles or Chicago or New York City or Seattle where the cost of living is literally two times as much or more than it is here on the salaries that they make. Plus, you are, like you said, you're telling them to leave their lands. That's no, not right. Yeah, no. exactly. That's not yeah. how this should be. Is like, if you don't like it, get out. No, that's not how we should be. We yeah. shouldn't be saying, you know, it's, it's kind of like the same ridiculous arguments as well if you don't like america you can just go to france or whatever no 
No, well, I'm just you know, speaking I just want from to make experience. Yes. Speaking from experience, moving is expensive. <laughs> Even if you yeah, do it don't... yourself, it's really, really pricey. Yeah. So no, yes. that's that's not the solution. Just to... yeah, if people don't know Bob just got off of a move and he's done with it. So yeah, I'm... so the the big sort takes. <laughs> it's like you're not moving again. But no, it's fascinating. Not. I I'm. And and you hear uh, some people pulling for the big sword because they they the idea is well if we can get more conservative states and we'll have more power with the electoral college. But I'm like that's not yeah. how this should work. We shouldn't be like as you said balkanizing our our people. So, but it's fascinating. And we have a few more op eds this weekend that are really interesting. The uh, Girl Scouts of Eastern Oklahoma CEO Regina Moon is writing about the Beyond Bars program, and it's been 20 years since that program has been in place, and it's it's a great program. It basically has a Girl Scout troop of girls who have a mother incarcerated, and they have parenting classes and work with the mother while in prison and with the girls, and they have visitation, and the whole idea is when the mom comes out, that relationship has is in place. That they can, that they don't have to start from scratch. They're not alienated from their families and they're getting the tools they need to be a better parent. So she writes about that. And then we also have a, uh, a really interesting op ed from a, she just finished her first year. So she's a second year OUTU medical student who served in, as a sort of a translator and physician in one of the clinics that caters to immigrant populations. And she writes about, her experience there, what she observed and calling for empathy for particularly underserved, marginalized people. And then finally, we have a an, an optimistic op-ed from Zach Stoikoff, who's the executive director of Healthy Minds Initiative. And he gives reasons to be optimistic about Oklahoma's mental health. And we need, and he's, he, he needs, he's striking good tone. Because we, I think from where my head was at over the weekend, we need more optimism, right? For sure. Exactly. So this is how I'm going to end it. I think we need to do things that make us feel a little better about life because right now things are yucky. It's like, it's hot. My air conditioner, God, I hope it just survives. Um, <laughs> I have allergies. one of those summers. <laughs> exactly. I have allergies really bad. Um, TV is not very good right now. My son has a rock band and I don't know how many people have teenage sons who are going to be rock stars, but they get loud. And one day I'll miss it, I know, but that day's not now. So I Here's woke up thing. with about four teenage boys sleeping on the floor and they're back at it by noon. So they're dedicated to their rock sounds. So proud. Um, I really am proud. They're very good. But but I am going to surround myself with uh, rom-coms this weekend. I'm going to read rom-coms, watch rom-coms. Everything I surround myself with is going to end happy. There's going to be a happily ever after. And then Monday morning, I'll come back to the news. So that's what I'm going to do. What are so you you're gonna, going to do? You're going to binge on Hallmark, huh? Oh, yeah. I'll, I'm going to find all of it. Well, I, first things first here. Going back to your diss on heavy metal, if you watch, oh, I'm surrounded by it right now. Are you kidding if me? You, if you watch Stranger Things, you will understand that one I, kid's love of heavy metal, yes. in this case, Master of Puppets by Metallica, helped save the day. Yes, so. I, I saw that. Okay. I saw that. A little part of me is like, I get it. 
I do, but I live yeah. it. I live it a little um, bit. There you go. So as far as me, I'm going to go see a nephew get married. He's got him a, a sweet little bride that, and they're going places. So I'm really excited for them. That does mean a lengthy drive into South Texas. Ooh, hope your air keeps up. Yeah, me too. Um, but uh, it's going to be good to see them and a bunch of other family. And, you know, they're they're going to be starting their lives in Brooklyn, New York. Oh, well, yeah. that'd be fun. We should yeah, go they, someone in New York. I love it when I have people in really cool places to visit. And then I can come back and try to make change in my state. So I'm not going to move. Yeah, well, I, work. I don't want to spend another two, three thousand dollars on moving or whatever it's going to be next time I got to do it. <laughs> No, optimism we're optimists optimism that's where we're going to end this podcast just want to and stay here so move. so thank you everybody who tuned in and listened feel free to email us write us give us some topics you want us to talk about you know we can we can, we can change pace a little bit so anyway take care see you later till next week see ya.